Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, hour one. We got a lot to discuss. We'll get to vacation later. Right now, we need to get into the the Trump stuff of what happened last week. I wound up taking all my radio equipment with me to the beach just in case. Uh, Let me set the parameters here and then try to explain to you what this this alleged prosecution of Donald Trump actually is. In fact, you know what? Let me start there. What is this? Uh, This is a really bad idea. And I want to, if you will forgive me, and you've got to because I'm your host, I want to explain to progressives why this is a bad idea. And I I know I'm going to persuade very few, but let's just talk about this and take Trump out of the equation. And it's hard to take Trump out of the equation because people are extremely emotional about Donald Trump. There's very little rational conversation to be had about Donald Trump. But let's just, let's take this back. The district attorney in New York has a person they wish to prosecute. They want to prosecute the specific crime based on what we know from the public statements of the people from the district attorney's office who have been involved in this. Let's remove the the alleged criminal defendant and let's just focus on what we know from people inside the district attorney's office who have left the investigation. What they say is the district attorney wants to prosecute someone. In this case, it's Donald Trump, but let's, again, take him out of the situation here and just deal with this rationally. What the prosecutors want to do is prosecute someone for a paperwork cover-up, essentially cooking the books at the corporation to hide a payment to someone. In New York City, in the state of New York, that in and of itself is a misdemeanor. You arrange your books in order to cover up payment to someone. That is a misdemeanor in New York. And the statute of limitations has run. You cannot prosecute this person for a misdemeanor, for covering up books to hide a transaction because the statute of limitations has run. However, If you show that the cover-up on the books is to cover up a crime, then it becomes a felony. So a misdemeanor is something that is less than $1,000 or less than a year in jail. A felony is more than $1,000, more than a year in jail. The statute of limitations is longer. A felony is a big crime. A misdemeanor is a minor crime. If you cover up the books to hide the commission of a crime, then the felony is a longer statute of limitations. You don't actually have to convict the person for that other crime. You just have to show that he cooked the books in commission of that crime. Never mind he wasn't prosecuted. You just show that the elements of the crime were there and you can tie it into this felony. So what crime did Donald Trump commit? 
according to this theory of the case. And again, we're going based on the statements of people in the prosecutor's office, not from Donald Trump's team, not from the lawyers, not from any outside person. What do the people inside the prosecutor's office say the crime was? According to them, their argument is that Donald Trump, let's just say the the would-be defendant, let's keep it rational by not mentioning his name so people don't become emotional. They say the defendant was running for office and covered up a payment to a mistress and it's a campaign violation because he did not report it on his campaign finance report. And had he, he would have gotten campaign dollars from his company. And you can't, under federal election law, corporations cannot give candidates money. So the corporation is alleged to have funded money to a lawyer to reimburse the lawyer who, out of the lawyer's pocket, paid a mistress to keep quiet to avoid fallout on a political campaign. The alleged transaction is that a lawyer paid a mistress hush money. The corporation then paid the lawyer money to reimburse the lawyer. The company accounted for it as legal expenses when actually he was just a middleman and the money was really being flowed to the mistress through him. That is a campaign finance violation, supposedly. And that is a felony. So what the district attorney says is, here's your felony. The company used someone as a conduit, that's key language, a conduit to pay someone else. Under campaign finance law, of which I actually practice law, when you pay legal fees, they must be legal fees. When you pay an outside consultant, you can pay generally consulting fees. If your lawyer is not your outside campaign consultant, you can't pay your outside lawyer something that you claim to be legal fees or consulting fees when really he's a conduit, again, key language here, he's a conduit to funnel that money to someone else for some other purpose. That's what they're alleging. On top of that, it's compounded by the fact that the company made the transaction, not the Trump campaign team. So the company made a payment on behalf of the Trump campaign to a lawyer as a conduit to pay hush money to a mistress so that the campaign didn't have to put it in the campaign paperwork to show they were paying a mistress to keep quiet. Now, John Edwards did this. Remember John Edwards? John Edwards arranged for someone to pay money to shut up a mistress. Riley, what's her name? He had a, had a child with. He was prosecuted and the case was thrown out. Now, prosecutors say it could have been better prosecuted and he could have gone to jail for this, but he wasn't. So for those of you who are befuddled by all of this and for those of you who are progressives, maybe the light bulb is going on now as to why this is a deeply problematic case. The district attorney for New York is claiming that a political campaign violated a campaign, federal campaign finance law. Now, here's the side twist that you have to understand. Federal campaign law supersedes all state law. So if you commit a violate, if you commit a crime in relation to a campaign finance violation, according to the plain understanding text and practice of the federal election code, 
a state-level prosecutor can't prosecute you for that. Only the federal government can. So now you see where it's getting more complicated for the state prosecutor. The state prosecutor doesn't want to prosecute the defendant for a campaign finance violation. The state prosecutor wants to prosecute the defendant for a state law about corporate accounting practices. But in order to prosecute the defendant for corporate accounting practices, he's got to use a federal crime that the federal government alone can prosecute someone for. This has never been done in American history, and that's the thing you've got to understand here. This has never been done in American history. There has never been a state prosecutor anywhere in the country who has attempted to use a federal campaign finance violation to prosecute someone at the state level for a completely separate matter, a completely separate law. That's what the DA in New York is trying to do to Donald Trump. If you don't understand why people are incensed about this, I hope you have a better sense of it now. Those of you on the left can say, we want the SOB in jail. Okay. I can't stop you from having that opinion, but the how and the why and the how to do it matters greatly. To take a federal campaign finance violation that the U.S. attorney declined to prosecute, the Federal Election Commission declined to prosecute, the Biden administration declined to prosecute, the U.S. attorney general declined to prosecute, a special counsel declined to prosecute. Robert Mueller looked into this, remember, all of these people declined to prosecute this crime, alleged crime. And the former prosecutor, Cyrus Vance, declined to prosecute this in New York, said he couldn't do it, didn't think he could do it. It was too tenuous, too dubious to be able to do. So Alvin Bragg, the current district attorney for the city of New York, has decided he will do what the U.S. attorney refused to do, what the attorney general refused to do, what the uh, independent counsel refused to do, what his predecessor in office refused to do. He's decided he's going to do it. The odds of him being able to do it are pretty slim if the judicial system is fair. Again, because he's attempting to allege Donald Trump committed a crime for which no one ever prosecuted him for, although they knew of the situation. He has to do several steps removed from what he wants to prosecute him for in order to get it. He's got to find a hook in order to get around the statute of limitations. This is his hook to get around the statute of limitations. This has never been done in American history. But they're going to do it on Donald Trump, and they're going to do it on Donald Trump because people on the left want Donald Trump in prison for something. They're desperate to find something. Teflon Don, they've called him, because everything they've thrown at him hasn't stuck. Now, Trump himself has taken advantage of the situation. Last week, it was Donald Trump's legal team that was the source of all of the newspaper articles that the indictment was coming. It was the Trump legal team that suggested he was going to be arrested on Tuesday or Wednesday of last week. And how did he use this? He used it to generate millions of dollars into his campaign coffers. It was a grift by the Trump team. You see the district attorney's office, they can't speak about ongoing criminal uh, matters before a grand jury. Their their hands were tied Donald Trump can came out and come out and say that we've been talking to them. The district attorney's office can confirm that yes, we've been talking to them, but we can't tell you about what. 
So the Trump team began to speculate. Oh, my gosh, all these things happen. We we're going to go to jail. He's going to be arraigned. He's going to be handcuffed. He, he's, he's, it's going to be they're not going to put him on parade, but this is going to happen. I had to take all my radio equipment with me on vacation in case it actually happened. And it turns out the district attorney's office had made no such agreement. But Donald Trump put it out there and said, they're going to arrest me, give me money, and people fell for it. It turned into a huge grift. They took advantage of the story. The district attorney set himself up for this. They also, the Trump campaign, tried to turn the tables on Ron DeSantis for not defending him and then daring to attack him and the like. Yes, it's true. I wrote last week while I was on vacation, I did point out, had Donald Trump kept his pants on and not had a sexual affair with a porn star while his wife was pregnant, none of this would be happening. Donald Trump's lack of impulse control got him into this mess. Donald Trump's lack of impulse control regularly gets him into these messes. But just because Donald Trump lacks impulse control and had an affair with a porn star while his wife was pregnant and thereafter gave birth, doesn't mean that a prosecutor at a local level in New York should be able to use a federal alleged crime that no federal official has bothered to prosecute him for to then have a hook to get around the statute of limitations. You can want Donald Trump in jail or not. You can think he's entirely innocent of this and the affair never happened. You Whatever you want. But you should at least be willing, as a matter of intellectual honesty and rationality, to understand it is really problematic for precedent's sake, for what's happening in the country, for our discourse as a divided nation, for a county prosecutor in New York to take a federal crime that no one has prosecuted and claim that a former president violated that law and should therefore be prosecuted under a related state matter, even though he's never been found guilty of that federal crime. It's a really big deal that they're going down this road, and it's deeply corrupting to the system and sets a whole lot of precedents Republicans could thereafter use themselves against Democrats, which is why this is a terrible idea for New York's prosecutor to do this. I have not only converted my entire family to Bull and Branch sheets, but a lot of my friends as well, because I actually believe in them. You can feel the craftsmanship, and the amazing thing is that these sheets get softer every time you wash them. Don't believe me? Give them a try. Right now, you can get early access to Bull and Branch's spring sale. You use code ERIC, that would be my name, E-R-I-C-K, and get 20% off today at BowlandBranch.com. That's BowlandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC. Exclusions apply. See the site for details. I got to tell you guys, these sheets are designed for incredible night sleeps. They're made without toxins. They're free from synthetic pesticides, formaldehydes, harsh chemicals. They fit really deep mattresses. And I've got a thick mattress, and they don't shrink up, which is great. Take care of the sheets. The sheets take care of you. And you get a 30-night risk-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. And right now, use code ERIC to take 20% off today at BolandBranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com, promo code ERIC. Some breaking news we've got to get to. There has been a shooting at a uh, Covenant School, a uh, elementary school private uh, Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, the shooter has been engaged by police and killed. Uh, 
officers are confirming for at least four people and the shooter are dead. Um, it appears that several children have been wounded. Well, we will monitor this situation. Uh, the Covenant School is located in a Presbyterian church and serves preschool through sixth grade. Um, one of those awful stories that continue to circulate around this country. Can I just, oh, I don't like to talk about these stories. Obviously, nobody does. I, I, while I was on vacation last week, I ran across a commentary from someone about these shootings that we have and how both sides in the country uh, fight with each other. Democrats want gun control. Republicans want mental health funding. And I, I forget now who the, the uh, person was commenting. And he said, essentially, we whether whether you believe in a theology or not, it's, it's pretty clear we have a spiritual problem in the country that uh, is causing despair, mental health problems. And I think the person is right. You don't have to be uh, some sort of evangelical Christian to understand that there's something spiritual. Uh, we, we have a, it is, atheism is a, a fairly new phenomenon in the world that we have body but no soul. Uh, most of history and most cultures recognize that a uh, complex whole human being is multifaceted and, and has body and soul together, uh, some level of spirit, and there's just something rotten today. Uh, and in this country, the level of hopelessness, the rise of mental health, the rise of anger, uh, you and I do not have to go too far to presume, and maybe we're wrong, but the odds are that this shooter, who we know nothing about, was white and male. We don't have to. We don't have to go down the path too far to get to that point. Maybe we'll be wrong about it. We could be wrong about it. But when you're playing the odds in a situation like this, it tends to be a white male shooter. And what is happening in these communities? And what will we find out? Now, immediately the conversation is going to turn to gun control because it always does, because the media and the left want gun control, and I understand that. The question will be, however, uh, with a gun purchase and the like, what laws could have been drafted to stop it other than a confiscation of guns, which is prohibited by the Second Amendment? And that is my chief frustration with these. We never want to talk about mental health. We don't want to talk about the spiritual component. And we don't actually want to analyze what actually happened and could be done to prevent the situation. Terrible situation. We will keep this updated. Christian grade school in Nashville has had a shooter. The shooter is now dead. I will tell you, for those of you on my flagship station, WSB Radio in Atlanta, Georgia, I will be on until 7 p.m. That's right. So, well, I, six hours of radio uh, from 3 to 4 when Hannity's on. I, I get to find some coffee and some lunch. Uh, but I'll be on from noon to 7 otherwise on WSB Radio. From 4 to 7, I will be doing a deep dive into the Georgia legislature. Uh, so they're still meeting in Atlanta. The governor of the state will be joining me. Uh, I So I woke up this morning. It sounded like, you know how it sounds if you pop a bag of, of popcorn in the microwave? It sounded like that all around the house. I felt like I was inside the bag of popcorn. Woke up to hail at my house this morning. Uh, it is still pouring down rain. We haven't had power at our house since 6.30 this morning. It came back on about 10.30 and went out again. A horrible, horrible storm blowing through. There's been tornadoes. 
uh, in the southeast. It, it's a very brutal day of weather in the southeast United States. A lot of people without power. Many people have lost their homes in the last 72 hours with major thunderstorms blowing through. So keep those folks in your prayers. Uh, we've got other stuff we got to talk about. One of the things that, that I, I need to talk about, one, I, I'm kind of fascinated by this. And let me let me set this up for, for what I wrote this morning. If you haven't gotten my email, you should subscribe. Text DATA to 33777 and get this. I, I actually, I, I want to commend the Trump campaign team for how they handled this situation in New York. Uh, it, it is very grifty, but it's also impressive. What we now know is that it was the Trump team seeding the stories that he was going to be arrested last week. It was not the district attorney. The news outlets that have run the stories have all said this story came from the Trump team. They had been in contact with Alvin Bragg, the DA. Alvin Bragg, the DA, who cannot talk about ongoing grand jury investigations, confirmed that, yes, they've been in communication. He could do that. The Trump team told everyone he was going to be indicted last week on Tuesday and possibly arraigned that day or the next day. Turns out that was not true at all. In fact, the grand jury wound up not even meeting for most of last week. All of this information, again, it's important to note, came from the Trump team. And what did they do with that information? They seeded these news stories, and then they also began a fundraising effort for Donald Trump and raised millions of dollars. In fact, last week was the most profitable day the Trump campaign has had since he announced at the end of November. To put this in perspective, for the five months after Donald Trump announced, he had raised November, December, January, February, into March. Donald Trump had raised, I'm sorry, I should say the first quarter after, so really three months, but it, it held true through March. Donald Trump raised less money in those months after announcing than Jeb Bush, Hillary Clinton, Rudy Giuliani, uh, you name it, Donald Trump raised less money in those months after his announcement he was running for office than these other candidates who were non-starters. But then last week, when he announced he was probably going to be arrested, put in handcuffs and arraigned, he blew the top off his fundraising. It was a great fundraising ploy. Donald Trump knows that when he tells his supporters he's going to be arrested, they believe what he says. And he took advantage of that to raise a ton of money. It was very smart. Now, you can look at this on the outside and you can say, well, his supporters are fools. He took advantage of them. You can say that. But also, you should note just how loyal these people are to Donald Trump. They thought he was going to be arrested and they decided to pour money into his campaign to help him out. It worked. What the Trump campaign was also able to do was turn tables on Ron DeSantis. This is kind of the impressive part of it to me here. So they they spent two weeks ago, go back two weeks, the Trump campaign attacked DeSantis on a daily basis, and everyone was kind of laughing. None of the attacks were, were really good. His name-calling of DeSantis, nobody was really paying much attention to it. DeSantis came out with a Piers Morgan interview in which uh, Piers Morgan, who's a great self-promoter, he's from British tabloid culture, he's like, oh, DeSantis goes on the attack. DeSantis is attacking Trump. When you actually look, they weren't attacks. 
DeSantis wasn't really attacking Donald Trump. He was just responding to questions from Piers Morgan, who as a great self-promoter branded it, branded them as attacks. I, I got to say, uh, I, I think that it was a bad thing that the DeSantis team went first to Piers Morgan for an interview like that. Because Piers Morgan is from British tabloid culture, so he was going to sensationalize the hell out of everything that DeSantis has said. And DeSantis has thus far tried very hard not to sensationalize anything. So don't give your first major interview on the verge of announcing you're running for president to a guy who is known for sensationalizing everything. Because he did. I mean, the attacks were kind of nothing burgers. It was uh, Donald Trump calls you Ron DeSanctimonious. What do you respond? Well, it's got a lot of syllables, so I kind of like it. That's not really an attack, and yet Piers Morgan made it to be an attack. So you have all of this from the DeSantis team in this Piers Morgan interview. So the Trump team, in addition to using the alleged arrest, which never happened, to build his fundraising, began to attack Ron DeSantis. Why hasn't Ron DeSantis spoken out on behalf of Donald Trump? You have a Soros prosecutor attacking Donald Trump. Why won't DeSantis speak? DeSantis needs to speak. We need Ron DeSantis to take it. Why? Why? He's being disloyal. So DeSantis speaks. And what does he say? He begins by saying, well, I don't really know what goes into paying hush money to a porn star, which was a very funny and good line. And then what does DeSantis do? He begins to attack Alvin Bragg, the prosecutor, as a Soros prosecutor. He says Alvin Bragg is out of his depth. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's only doing it for politics. It's a politically motivated prosecution. It should not happen. And that he, Ron DeSantis, has already uh, fired some George Soros-backed prosecutors, and this guy needs to go away. He gives a defense of Trump, saying this is a politically motivated witch hunt by a George Soros-funded prosecutor. So what does the Trump team do? They focus on the beginning, the 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 don't know what it takes to pay a, a porn star. Why is he attacking Donald Trump? Why can't he attack Alvin Bragg? Never mind that he did. He did attack Alvin Bragg, but that wasn't the first thing out of his mouth. Therefore, the Trump team decided to turn it on DeSantis again and saying, one, he's disloyal, and two, he's not attacking sufficiently. By the end of the week, the New York Times and the Washington Post and the commentators on multiple news outlets declare Ron DeSantis is in a very bad week. The Lincoln Project is already out saying, well, he's lost before he's even announced. He's got lots of negative headlines. Now, does the public actually, I don't think anybody cares, believes him or will remember. But the Trump team was able to own the entire news cycle, turn it into a fundraising opportunity and an attack on Ron DeSantis. And the New York Times willingly obliged and ran the attacks on Donald Trump. Again, I don't actually think that these things really matter. But I do actually think that the Trump campaign did a marvelous job of turning all of this on DeSantis and on a fundraising opportunity. It was good politics by the Trump campaign to control the narrative as they did. They took advantage of something that could have blown up in his face and they amplified it in a way that helped him fundraising and helped him with an opponent and generated negative press on DeSantis, something they had not yet really been able to do. Whether the politics of that can sustain itself, I'm not really sure, but for now, it did. Now, I want to play you this from Dan Abrams, not exactly a conservative sort of guy. He of Mediaite fame. Uh, this is this is his commentary on TV about this prosecution. 
Look, it's risky for a number of reasons. The, the new theory is in getting it from the misdemeanor to the felony. They're kind of jerry-rigging it to some degree. And, and the reason that uh, that's novel and it's difficult, it hasn't been quite done exactly in this way before, but there's also another factor here, which is this isn't just a misdemeanor case that they're trying to get into a felony. It's also a seven-year-old case. It's also a case that two other sets of prosecutors, the previous DA and the federal prosecutors, decided not to move forward with. So, you know, when people say to me sometimes, well, if this had been me, I would have been prosecuted, for sure. My response is, if this had been you, I don't know that seven years later, they would have revisited this misdemeanor and tried to turn it into a felony. So it is a challenging legal theory. They may be able to do it, but, but there are problems here. There are problems there. A Democratic strategist was on Fox News, had this to say to Howard Kurtz. Leslie, uh, even many journalists and even some of those on the left who don't love Donald Trump, including we saw a clip from CNN's Van Jones, uh, say this is the least important of the various Trump investigations, that Alvin Bragg is in fact trying to turn a record-keeping misdemeanor into a felony charge. And most people don't care about this, and it was a long time ago. So is that part of why it's boosting Trump, who's, by the way, raised about $2 million off this? No. And Van Jones, I would argue, loves Trump. <laughs> uh, but but uh, look, uh, this is helping Donald Trump for the same reason that covering all of his rallies helped Donald Trump. I mean, if you are the headline news, whether I think it was back in 1976, Howard Cosell said he was the most loved and hated man in America. But everyone knew his name yeah. because he was the most loved and hated. So Donald Trump has the headline, right? So whether it's an indictment or whether it's a rally, it actually does help the president, because the former president, because it, it stokes up his base. Right. And it gets people out there. And he's saying, look, he, he loves to play the victim. And then when you keep having it's going to happen tomorrow, 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 and it doesn't happen. Right. Well, people say, look, this is a witch hunt. So uh, I think it does benefit him, actually. I think it does, too. I think the Trump team played it masterfully. Here's the problem for the Democrats. And if you're a progressive, you should note what are the precedents that are being set to take a six, seven year old case, reopen it try to attach a federal campaign finance violation to it to reopen a state crime matter, you are setting some pretty terrible precedents that will come back to bite you. Don't expect Republicans to not seek revenge. Don't accept, expect Republicans to not behave just like these Democrats are doing. Hunter Biden, there's an issue there for Hunter Biden. For for Joe Biden, there's an issue there for Joe Biden. For future Democratic presidential candidate, you've got Pete Buttigieg wants to run for president, was a mayor in South Bend, Indiana. What if something comes up about him in Indiana? State-level prosecutor in Indiana decides to go after him for something. You are risking a lot by trying to reopen a seven-year-old misdemeanor and convert it to a felony by hitching a ride on a possible federal crime that no federal prosecutor in seven years, despite knowing the situation, has bothered to prosecute. The precedents write themselves. 
And I cannot wait for the day that I say I told you so to you progressives who think this is a good idea. There are plenty of other investigations out there against Donald Trump. You got the one in Georgia. You got the federal one over the, the, the classified documents. You guys are so intent on making sure this guy goes to prison. What you're actually doing is helping his presidential campaign. And you're probably going to make him a sympathetic figure because Americans do not like witch hunts by prosecutors against either side. You are probably helping his presidential campaign in so doing. And part of me thinks you know this. The Lincoln Project guys are dependent on Donald Trump for their revenue. They're going after Ron DeSantis right now. They're doing everything they can to drag down DeSantis because I think they need Donald Trump to be the Republican nominee. They think they can beat him. But they thought the same thing in 2016. Remember, Hillary Clinton in 2016, towards the end of the Republican primaries, threw her campaign into helping Donald Trump get the Republican nomination. It is absolutely true and well documented that the Clinton campaign started treating Trump as the nominee and started going after him in ways that induced Republicans to support him, and it worked. But guess what? He won. Do you really want to do that? Do you really want to do that? I'm telling you you're writing checks you can't cash later. You're setting precedents you're going to hate later. You're not thinking here. You're being emotional, and that's the problem with all American politics these days. Everyone's thinking emotionally. A great group that actually thinks rationally and logically and long-term is Patriot Mobile. They grow the conservative movement by growing their profits. They need you to take part in that, and all you have to do is move your cell phone service to them. Guaranteed great service from Patriot Mobile. I got great Patriot Mobile service down in Hilton Head last week when I was at the beach. You can too. You can even take your existing phone number to them, and if you have an unlocked phone, you can carry it as well or get a new one from them. They've got all the big phones you can use at Patriot Mobile. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric is the website. PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K or 972-PATRIOT. That's their number. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service. You go to PatriotMobile.com today. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation. If you're a teacher, a first responder, an NRA member, a veteran, or you have multiple lines because you got a lot of kids with phones at that age, Patriot Mobile might be able to save you some money and they give you great discounts. PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K or 972 Patriot. Lots of radio coming back from vacation, which was great. Uh, we got a beach house in Hilton Head, and it was fine uh, until Friday. One of the relatives with us got sick, um, had to go to the hospital. But l- let me just, without going into all the details and particulars about all that, let me just say I, I was aware of and am now highly aware of we have a crisis in this country no one is talking about. And we should probably, as a nation, become very aware of the situation that, um, well, it's going to affect all of us in one way or another. We have a nursing crisis in the country. Uh, when we were in Hilton Head, it, it, one of the people we were with had to go to the hospital and could not be admitted into the hospital for 40 eight plus hours after arriving because there were no hospital beds. And what it actually was is plenty of beds, just no nurses. This is happening all over the country now. Uh, Increasingly, nurses are burnout over COVID. They're leaving. They're burnout over the work schedules. They're leaving. They're burnout over pay. They're leaving. Uh, Younger nurses, in fact, I've I've talked to people in Colorado, uh, Nevada, 
California and several others uh, can't pass drug tests because you got to take a drug test if you're a nurse and you have marijuana in your system. You're being bumped out of the program. So very young nurses are dropping out of programs or being fired because of drug screenings. Older nurses are becoming travel nurses instead of being tied into a hospital. We have massive nursing shortages in this country. We are really, really focused in this country on a teacher crisis. We have a lack of teachers in this country and we need more teachers in this country. We're not talking about nurses and we need more nurses in this country. Uh, We need uh, men and women to go to nursing school. We need them to do well in nursing school. We probably need to provide more financial support for people to go to nursing school, to become nurses, because we're running into problems. There are still lots of people who want to become doctors in this country, but not a lot of people want to be nurses. And we need way more nurses than doctors in this country at this point. Uh, in the Atlanta area where I am, uh, where I was in Hilton Head, uh, my, my niece is a nurse in Tennessee. They're having this problem. A buddy of mine I was talking to about this up in New York City said they got massive problems up there with nursing shortages. It is a huge, huge problem. We need to be incentivizing people to get into nursing school and become nurses, and we are not focused on that. It is going to become a huge healthcare crisis for us. I'll probably write about this. You should subscribe if you text the word data to 33777. You get my morning piece on on Trump and, and how he fundraised off this alleged indictment. I may write about this this week as well. And, and keep in mind, next week is going to be Holy Week. And you won't get a lot of political writings next week. You'll get more philosophical, theological pieces. I force myself to do that every Holy Week. I'm still figuring out what to do for Good Friday this year. I need to get some interviews with some pastors recorded, figure out the music and all of that. Uh, We'll get that done. When we come back, we need to shift gears. There was a hearing last week while I was on vacation about TikTok. The TikTok people have aligned with the Democrats, and the Democrats now may do nothing because they're scared of millennials and Gen Z voters.